0: Thank you so much for joining us. Um, I'm really excited about our guest today, Jay Stetson. But before we get started, I want to let everybody know that we've started an educational series every other Thursday. So next Thursday, it's a free series. We're going to be focusing on different topics, and the whole month of April will be about farmers next month, processors, then manufacturers and import-export, all for the hemp industry or people serving the industry or looking to get into the industry. So if you are interested, look onto our website, shoot me a message, mandy at globalhempassociation.org. Other than that, um, like, share, we'd love to have your comments today, join in if you guys have any questions for Jay. Other than that, I'm gonna let you kind of introduce yourself and give me a, or us a rundown about what's your, what's your background, Jay, and congratulate, or I mean, I guess, thank you very much for spending your time with me this morning.
1: Yeah, you bet, thanks a lot for having me. we're just a fifth, I'm a, let's see, third generation uh, rancher. And um, we currently live up in Montana and have a ranch up here in Montana. We grew up in Colorado. And, and where um, what's Where that? in Colorado are you from? Uh, just south of Steamboat, about 20 miles.
0: Okay. I love uh, big
1: miles. resort, big resort town. So, mm-hmm. um, anyway, we've been up here for about 25 years and um, I got, the fourth and the fifth generation living on the ranch and what we're trying to do is just make it uh, we we're sort of forced to leave uh, the ranch in Colorado just because it wasn't big enough uh, for the siblings and everybody so we come up here but our primary goal here is to try to strategize and to have the ability to where I can hand this down to my son and daughter and then they can go on and hand it down to the grandkids and so the grandkids are two of them are here living full-time and then the other two come out in the summertime and um yeah we raise um old foundation quarter horse lines uh from the king ranch the four sixes and some of those big ranches down in texas so we have a broodmare program then we have a cattle operation to where um we do a membership a monthly membership to where people can order their own beef because through this COVID pandemic and everything else going on, um, a lot of people, whether that happened or not, you just really don't know where your meat's coming from. And uh, I think the younger generation, they care about what uh, they consume and what they eat on a healthy side of things. And with all the GMOs and all the modified stuff out there, you just really don't know what that intake is when you're buying it at the grocery store. It could That hamburger could come from probably 30, 40 different heads of cattle. You know, it's all uh, put into one big processing plant. And to where ours is, we raise our beef, and it's about a 150-day process. And then we have uh, our own processor that processes it. And then we sell that out on a membership deal, and that's at StetsonBeef.com. Okay. And then um, we – do a hay operation and then we got introduced into the hemp probably two years ago and trying to diversify and trying to um you know just see what's out there so
0: love it so i'm really interested in this beef order i talk about this all the time i want i want to order good meat and i want to have clean meat i would love to get involved in this i think this is a great idea i've talked multiple times about ordering cattle or butchering one and splitting it amongst a whole bunch of us because I of course just have a small freezer. I can't even take a quarter of a beef right now. But yeah, I would love to do this. That's well great. that's
1: that's what we're seeing out there too. So we have the option to where people buy a eighth of a beef or a quarter of beef, or you can just buy eight uh probably ten to eleven pounds, which would yeah, usually yeah. fit in uh and that's made for a couple single or a couple and usually has room to sit in their freezer and Then that's on a membership to where it comes monthly and automatically frozen to your doorstep and we've got clients a restaurant down in miami florida we've done restaurants or a client up in the panhandle of northern michigan and so we'll be able to get that frozen to you and then it's an automatic deal every month and so you don't have to worry about it it's just like ordering on amazon it just Clicks every month, and then if you need to customize it, we can customize it or whatever we want to do. So it, yeah, it's it's a great thing, and very right. high quality, <laughs> uh, and it's all prime grade, uh, the best you can buy at uh, any store. So okay, so tell me
0: about Montana. How'd you would you end up? What were your thoughts moving from Colorado to
1: Montana? Yeah, I do love well, Montana. Well, i have been to Montana uh, when I was younger, and it's um. One of those things you travel around, we knew we had to, we couldn't afford to live in steamboat because of the tourists and the value of land and expand really what our heart and what we were raised doing. And even my grandpa went through a tough times. At one time he was running about 18,000 acres down there. And, you know, through the tough times, he had to sell off and sell off and sell off. And really what was left, it just wasn't enough to sustain the siblings. And so, we traveled to Wyoming and Montana and we like that four season climate you know to where it's not just I mean I love Florida and I'd like to be down there or Texas or Arizona okay. climate but in the summertime it's sort of nice to have the winter and the changing seasons and so it just was it's an ag area and um, that's where we ended up just enjoyed it so,
0: so I'm really um, and your senators have done to support Montana's farming and agriculture. Um, can you talk to me a little bit about that? And what are you seeing from Montana as a whole um, support, especially moving into a new commodity or a new agricultural commodity of hemp? Because um, we don't see that across all borders.
1: No, and I think um, we'll see what uh, Jim Forte does this year. Uh, you know, he just got elected and we're really liking to see my biggest thing is you know i don't care what political party you're faced to it's my constitutional rights and my amendments that's what we were raised on that's what this country was developed on and so you know it's it's a touchy area today to be talking about any of this um you know you hear if somebody supports so so and so then all of a sudden their company is banned from all the political world and everything else, you know, it, it just makes it tough, but I, I feel they're on the right path. Um, I think they're sort of trying to follow in line with South Dakota and the governor, mm-hmm. and I, I support that, and I hope all of you support that too that are looking at it, but it's our constitutional right, and nobody's extremist. We're just um, down earth people that are just trying to survive and make a living here. That's, you know That's yeah. what it boils down to.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So tell me a little bit about your journey into the hemp industry. What's it been like and what are you seeing? Because I know you've been you've been you've had probably a similar experience to the most of as most of the farmers.
1: Yeah, it's been a it's been a tough road. And I think at some point in time, I would almost like to be a speaker for the farmers. Uh, from what I've experienced, Um It's hard enough, like I said, to make it in the agricultural world. you got to be diversified. you got to streamline and try different sources of income to make it work. But uh, the first year we found out that, uh, and that was 2019, uh, to grow a CBD crop, Montana is not the best places to do that. We had a lot of people telling us it'll work, it'll work, it'll work. They were selling Mm -hmm. us the seed. They were selling us the product, yada, yada. But when it comes down to it, with our early frost and snowstorms that threatened us in September and October, that plant doesn't have the full ability to mature and get into the flowering and its full potential. So uh, the next year, and we just did a very small plot of that. And then the next year, uh, a gentleman wanted us to do go into the protein um, and plant. So we planted about 580 acres. And... Mm-hmm. Through the midstream of that season last year, their plants tested hot. Well, they were supposed to have a processing facility set up. They were licensed to process and remediate to remove the hot plants for THC. Um, Montana has um, a little bit different testing methodology um, where if we're growing the whole plant, and we're going to use that whole plant for a protein supplement, um, that whole plant should be tested in my eyes. If they come out there and they test that flower at the top of the plant and then take that back, there's no way we can pass. Um, Because it's such, when you're at a high density and you're putting 25 pounds to the acre, that the crop grows tall, very very little leaf, um, a lot of stem, about probably a half inch to three quarter inch diameter and very little flower at that time. So it's very concentrated where they're pulling their sample. So this company was supposed to have a remediation and be able to process it. So we we'll come to find out they did not. And so they, then they wanted to go into a seed operation. Well, anybody growing hemp, knows that if you're going to plant for seed production it's going to be a lot a different strain it's going to be a different planting uh pounds to the acre everything starts from the very beginning how you plant or what your end result is going to be and so to change midstream it's going to be very difficult and to have a a good producing crop so when they went to seed uh, of course the crop spent all its energy. We had crop probably roughly 9 to 10 feet tall. I mean, it was a beautiful stand. It was a beautiful crop. Everything worked. But then all of a sudden, when it comes, they want a seed harvest, you can't even get a harvester above the, the majority of that plant just to collect the seed. And so you got a lot of carbon material in there too. And then when the plant itself has maybe 25 to 50 seeds per plant where a normal seed producing could have 20 to 40,000 seeds per plant. Then the ratio is off. You have a lot of carbon material. And yeah, we did a fairly good job for what we had to deal with, but it just doesn't work. Well, the company just backs out and then they have no credibility, no nothing. So we never got paid at all for that 580 acres. And when you're trying to put that kind of a burden of farmers and ranchers, and you're not gonna, let's um, see the words, I mean, you have a contract, we had our attorney look at the contract, everything looked good, but when they don't have the funds to even make you whole for what a normal ranch, what that would have, income would have been for that year, farms and ranches cannot sustain this. So no. in Montana, Montana I'm gonna tell you is a very hard place to get somebody to grow hemp right now. It's it's because we've had a lot of bad apples out there and we've got to weed these guys out. Um, all these farmers ranchers need a alternative crop and we need processing plants to where the end product has somewhere to go. But I firmly believe that the way I'm gonna approach it this year, if somebody wants me to grow hemp for them this year, they're gonna have to put money in escrow And then I need a payment uh, right after it's planted. I need a payment in the middle of the year. I need a payment at harvest. And then after harvest, maybe 45 days to give them time to get that that product out there to whoever's taking the offtake, to get that cycle started, you know, get that wheel greased and get things going. But all of that money I feel for the farmer needs to be set in escrow And as long as they have benchmarks, whether it's the planting depth and then whether it's the watering, take moisture tests and pictures of the crop to make sure everything's working. If they meet those benchmarks, they need to get paid until there's um, some type of a system set up because just like corn or anything else, yes, we have to, we can plant corn today and the commodity price is X amount. And at the fall, it may be more it may be less but we know we're going to get paid Mm -hmm. farmers need to know they're going to get paid and and i'll tell you i'm a firm believer in this my son um had a blood disorder and it's a really a long name that i can't remember but basically had way too many red blood cells and lack of white well lack of white he couldn't fight the infections and everything else they found it early but it was a very serious and they wanted to do radiation and chemotherapy and we got introduced to a guy that (laughs) and some thc and he was on that for about four to five months and he got married july 3rd last year the doctor didn't know the day he was getting married but that doctor called on july 3rd in the morning and told him he was cancer free and that was amazing i mean yeah. things were running high my wife was crying the son was crying daughter crying everybody and overjoyed and just couldn't believe the timing of everything that he's getting married but i say that because there is so much benefit in this crop i don't care if you're doing um industrial, the oil, if it's going into the textile industry, I mean, there is so much from the root to the tip of that flower, you're going to get benefit out of it somehow, some way. So I really would like to be an advocate for the farmers and for these people that are offering contracts or these people that are trying to get people to grow for them. They have to realize that this money has to get set aside so people are protected. And We've got to overcome this bad name, and I don't know where it is in other states, but I'll tell you, Montana, it's not a good thing.
0: Well, I think that it's the exact same. I mean, the biggest challenge I hear is getting farmers. We've we once you once we screw them and take their farm. Lots of these people have lost their farms. The suicide rates have gone up. Not only, I mean, they're giving away everything that they have into this crop because when they've planted anything else, they're secured by. PACA or any of these other insurances that, you know, secure normal business practice, safe business practices. If you shake my hand and we have a written contract, you're going to be buy my product because I meet these terms that's protected in every other industry except for hemp. And so right. I'm saying with you, if, if I'm going to get into business, I encourage any of those guys that are looking to invest and build these processing facilities to make sure that our farmers are secured because without them, we won't have this. We won't
1: have a problem. No, you won't. And, <laughs> and it, takes, it takes a lot of acreage. You know, some people say, well, why don't you do 50 acres and try that? Well, you go to some of the big, um, I spoke with a guy out of Colorado here this week. He's not even interested in talking to anybody that's less than probably 500 acres and has a mass amount of biomass or stock or seeds or something because it's not worth their time. You know, and and then they got to meet so many little people out there. Well, I'm going to tell you, the smaller the grower is, the more risk you have for faults. Mm -hmm. COAs. Um, Are you really reliable? Are you trustworthy? You know, and so you need that big acreage to get enough product out there, especially in the textile industry.
0: Well, in textile, people understand that that textile industry, something like eight to ten percent of the plant is the fiber, the textile fiber. It's a very small portion, you know. And then, and then you look at not just that, but our automotive industry or kitty litter industry. The volume we would need to produce enough kitty litter or animal bedding, or I mean, massive. <laughs> so I'm I'm with you. These small farms are. The risk is very high for them, and it's very hard to maintain or compete on these markets if we're not taking care of them. Their loss is.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, you know, I'm a small rancher farmer compared to a lot of these big places out there, but we are really at a disadvantage because we don't have the clout. We don't have all the attorneys and the CPAs and everybody else to go to these meetings and these board meetings and talk to these higher companies in these. Big boardroom meetings to orchestrate the deals. I mean, we're at their beck and call, and so it, it's it's a um, a real important fact for the smaller farmers. And I mean, we do about 900 irrigated acres, and it's you know it's sizable, but it is really really small compared to what the vast majority is out there, and so it's it'd be nice to. Be able to have some of these smaller farmers and ranchers be able to diversify and be able to uh, yes. increase that income and just be sustainable
0: what do you see some solutions are immediately that we as an association can focus on to provide connections or support um, back to our farmers or back to anybody in this i say from farm to processing
1: i'm sorry i missed the first part of your question
0: but what type of services can we really focus on as an association or as whoever's listening, right? Where do we really step in, and where does the focus need to be for farmers and processors, in your opinion?
1: I think we need to bet. Let's let's go. Let's do an example. John Porterfield. Mm-hmm. He's trying to do a, uh, a fabric and use the hemp and. Cool to replace cotton or to work with cotton and, you know, whether it's Levi's or whether it's whatever fabrication. Well, I think we need to talk to uh, back East, probably the fabric mills, uh, the yarn mills, uh, Mm -hmm. timber industry uh, Mm -hmm. and get people that are educated, that can speak the language, talk to them and secure contracts. And yes, we all have to perform but we need to know where that offtake is going because if we're nobody's going to grow if i mean if somebody's going to put the money up put it in escrow i'll grow for them and i don't care you know whatever happens but that's the wrong attitude for me too i want no. them to be successful but they I, need yeah. for that end product to, to go
0: I think what I'm finding more and more, too, in the hemp industry is what you grow determines where it's going in the industry. Right. I mean, the textile fiber is completely different from construction materials. And so understanding that if I'm a farmer and my end contract is for textiles and I want to cut costs or I don't do something I'm supposed to, it affects that contract massively. It becomes a waste at that point because Um, if it's not harvested correctly, where in the construction material, it may change that market, right? But I'm with you understanding, I may not need to know once you take it, how you process it or what type of wallboard it goes into. But I need to know that my product is going into that in market and I have a contract and a secured contract for a number of years, right? I want to grow and keep growing. This isn't a uh, let's try 10 acres and then next year you're going to go to somebody else because I can't convince farmers
1: to grow on that. Yeah, you, you're, and you're exactly right. At the beginning of that contract, you need to know where it's going so you know what strain to grow, how to plant, how to harvest, the whole thing that has to start right now. I mean, if you're going to grow this year, it has to be happening right now and where that end user is going. But I think from what I'm hearing is some of these – people that want you to the majority of the people that want you to grow for them. I don't know if they have that secured where that end product is going. Well, then that really makes it hard for anybody to grow for them. Cause if this one doesn't work and we go over here and it comes July, well, I've already planted. I've, we've already grown this strain. And that's why I'm saying that money has to be set up front. So it's not the burden of the farmer. I mean, you're coming to me asking me to grow for you, I'll grow for you. And so now we want you to be successful because I want to grow next year, but if something changes on your end, that should not be our problem at that point. Bingo.
0: And it's not in any other commodity, it's not when you grow corn or alfalfa or blueberries or wool, it, it's not, it's all secured in contract. So. Um, I like what you said earlier when we were talking about John and shout out to John. I think he's doing an incredible job at doing exactly what you're saying is building those relationships with those end contracts, right? Knowing that if I meet these specs for you, you are going to continue to grow and hold up or continue to buy and hold up your end of the contract. Right. And again, somebody coming to you to grow, it's not like John would be coming to you or anybody and saying, Hey, I want you to grow and sell your product. coming asking you to grow you grow and hold up your end of the contract and that needs to be secured i think that when we say where do we need to focus for the last year this has been a topic Um, getting paca on board and going after some insurance to secure those contracts for best business Um, and i think the vetted piece you know part of why we built the association was exactly that Um, I don't know everybody in the industry, but being able to sit where we are, we hear a lot. And so being able to link arms and it's really quick, like attracts like, and you start meeting people that are, Hey, I, I I recommend them. I've worked with them. And it's easy for me then to say, I don't have a personal relationship, but so they work with so-and-so and so-and-so and -and and so-and so, and I've heard great things about them, or I haven't seen any work at all. And so That's my, I mean, that's exactly why I got into this, Jay. It was amazing to me how many, how little opportunity there was for people like you to figure this out.
1: Yeah, it's not an easy road, that's for sure. But um, I think, you know, working all together that it can be. And like I said, there's so many benefits in this plant that it's going to be a slow turn of events, but there is so much potential here, too.
0: So in Montana, tell me a little bit about what, like, growing conditions and water, um, you know, did you use regular water on your crop? What was your, not, did you dry harvest any of it?
1: All of ours is irrigated and we run pivots and everywhere I grew hemp. So the um, water comes out of the rivers or the canals for irrigation, whatever we're allocated for water rights. So all of ours is under controlled irrigation. Yeah
0: that's awesome And then what about harvesting equipment? you know and you're talking about the remediation piece but the equipment to harvest is even something that needs to be considered depending on what market you're going into or ready in the field versus not in the field Where, what did you end up doing there
1: well what our contract was and that's why I went with them because they wanted us to basically treat it like hay so we were going to swath it rake it, bale it and the biggest thing is weed control. Again, that depends on your density of planting to control that. Um, and so we were using typical square balers, uh, regular hay swathers and rakes, just like our hay operation. So then we didn't have to go buy a bunch of specialized equipment and everything else. So if, um, and, and that was, we were taking the whole plant. And so that's why that worked. Now, if you're doing seed, you gotta have a combine um, just to take the seed. Then you gotta deal with the stock. After that, if you're going for CBD, you're talking handwork. I mean, it's it's a whole different animal. So again, back to what we were saying at the beginning of the contract, knowing what you're going for, and then you'll know what kind of equipment you need throughout, so you can do your due diligence and be ready. To be successful while you're farming. But ours was just typical hay equipment this last year.
0: What do you, what are some, um, where do you see yourself going? You think you're gonna continue? I know there's lots of talks about being able to set farmers up and some more security from Montana a little bit, especially where it's it's been adopted as a commodity. So it's, uh, it, and of course I'm in Utah, so I compare everything to Utah. <laughs> We're oh, a little bit okay. And so I, um, you know, where do you see the future of hemp for Montana?
1: I think it's a good, when I talk to the Department of Ag, uh, they're encouraged by it. They want to move forward with it. Um, I know they're working with Canada a lot or somewhere with the seed production. Um, And I think my plan is I definitely want to move forward with it. We just got to dot our I's, cross our T's, and vet some of these people um, a little bit better. But I think it's it's going to be, there's uh, Fort Bend, uh, there's a industrial hemp up there. They seem to have a good reputation, and they're growing for uh, seed, basically. And so I've got two companies that are talking to me about it. Um, plus, our ground is organic. So that gives me a little bit... Uh, well, we've got 500 acres that is organic. So that gives me a little bit of a different edge to maybe specialize with somebody else that needs organic. But there's some companies that it means nothing to them. And just because of the processing of the end product, it depending how they process that. So um, we feel very strong about it. And I think there is great potential with it. So the states, the testing, I think, a lot of that needs tweaked and somehow we need to get some legal help to where if somebody's growing for flour, then you're going to test the flower because that's their end product if we're using the whole plant let's cut the whole plant grind it up test it and you know that's we're talking elementary education here this is not rocket science this is my 14 year old granddaughter can figure this stuff out so i think um some of that details needs to work out. But I think also you can't just be pointing fingers because there's a lot of bad apples out there. And so I think work together with them and get a program. I think that would benefit all farmers. And and I don't know what all the other state's regulations are, but I think that would be a big plug for them. And I think that
0: that's a hard part. These regulations are so different and they're trying to do their own and write their own. And yeah, I've got... One of my members, they're having to test the THC level of their roofing tiles. That was in perspective where we're at. (laughs) You know, I think just stuff like that is, like you said, it's very common sense. And I understand regulations have been put in place because there's this fear or lack of control of that flower. What do you do with it, right? And, And who's to say that it's not a double or dual crop? You know, and I think that that changes when you talk about what are you using it for? So it'll be interesting how that part pans out but it just doesn't make sense to me when the majority of the plant or all of the plant in some situations is being used for yeah, construction materials or biofuels or plastics or anything.
1: Snowboards, bicycles, I mean they've got everything and we talked to a guy actually down in I think they're in Salt Lake about pavers or pavement or something like that and so we got product down there right now being tested. And he brought up the same point. Well, now we have to, we got to let it set for X amount of time to what the THC is coming off of this stuff. And we're talking stock here, using stock. Well, how much? There is no THC in stock. I mean, to even be hardly measured, you know? So it's just a waste uh, of
0: resources. What a waste of resources. What a waste of
1: resources
0: you know, a waste of their time, a waste of our time. And and real, reality is, is, this. I think we may maybe even be talking about the same gentleman that said, you know, what are we going to do? Go out and smoke our driveway? <laughs> you're just, you're not. There's not enough in it. There's not enough once processed into a concrete. So silly. Um, so tell me about what kind of, like, what would communication look like to the government or from the government? You know, how do we bridge this gap? How do we aggressively
1: move after that boy you're talking about a world that's just you know I'm not very politically correct <laughs> and so it is, well, it's 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 hard but I I think just sitting down face to face with them and and you know let um, it can be that simple that the farmers go up there and talk to them and say you know we're not the bad guys here I mean, if they've got contracts with Coors, if they got contracts with these corn companies and everybody else, obviously they are following a strict protocol, a very strict protocol. So to think that, you know, you got, I think the biggest problem is that the state is worried about, you got some of these idiots, boneheads out there that are trying to incorporate the marijuana plant hiding out into their hemp crop and trying to get it going or something. And, and, and that part of it, I mean, yes, they've got to have that concern, but you know, you could make it really pretty simple. If we caught you one time, you're banned for life to hell with you. Why do we need to put up with that kind of stuff in the industry? There's a lot of benefits with this industry. If you want to grow marijuana, go, go grow marijuana. I am against it but if i'm not licensed to do it and you're going it you're out that's simple and sitting there with a board meeting talking to them i i can't believe it, something couldn't be worked out to get that lined up and to get uh that set up that's not my forte but i would darn sure be glad to speak and talk to him that's cool yeah okay.
0: And that's something that I think these associations, there's so many associations that are focused on that, right? And part of what we want to do is get together with each of those associations and say, what are you doing and what's your strength? How do we support each other? Because I'm with you, though, there's the bad apples are ruining it. They, they wreck it for regulations. There's regulations that are coming in that are hurting this real valuable piece of the plant that really isn't, isn't the threat, right? It's the the big opportunity that's ahead of us. Yes. For um, sure. When when companies are coming to you to grow, what do, what do you see the majority of the end product being for? You know, if they're if they're growing, where is where are they asking it to go into? What market?
1: Um, well, right now, the two companies that are talking to me, uh, one's going into biofuels. Okay. Um, I think a small percentage of that now they're opening up a stock Um, they want growers to grow for stock so I believe that would be going into the textile side of things sure Um, and then we have John which would go into the wool and the cotton that type of fabric industry that's what I'm seeing up here I'm gonna have a hard time somebody coming from back east and wanting us to grow for them. Um, you know, money talks, but that's what I'm seeing up here as far as Montana. but I think it has to do with what the climate is up here in Montana.
0: Well, and I, I think just transporting it a long ways, it's just no longer cost effective, right Processing really has to be within a hundred to 200 miles And I, and I just Absolutely. I don't think we can get away from that.
1: No, I don't either. Just no longer
0: effective, right? Uh, What are some of the biggest products you're excited about with hemp? Where do you? And you think there's a chance we can make a Stetson hat out of hemp?
1: I'm sure you can. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure you can. Um, I think um, I think it's clothing. I think it's paper. I think it's um, a textile. All of that, Um, and and the health. I don't think there's anybody sitting on this or that's going to stream this that's going to see this that can disagree with me how i'm sorry how old are you mandy 40. all right when you were five years old and your mom or dad took you to the doctor
0: Mm
1: -hmm. was the doctor a good thing a man you could trust Mm -hmm. did you feel at that time totally yeah different now day if you take do you have kids i do do you trust that doctor or do you do you have that local trusted family doctor that no matter what he says he has your kids of best interest
0: i i feel like i do but i don't think it's common i've been with the same doctor for 20 years for my kids and okay. so it's different in however new diagnoses the pandemic and i'm pandemic hemp. As I started attending these hemp meetings and events, I I learned really fast that doctors only know what they know. And they don't know what they don't know. And what they're taught is what they believe is right. And I've begun really quick to question what what's real and what's needed. And so I think I, I know where you're going with this, that no, I don't think that the, that family care pra- doctor is or trusted person is available
1: anymore. No, and I'll tell you something here that's amazing is, and you watch the commercials. We didn't ask for this. We're not um, uh, publicizing it. We're not anything. We are just absorbing what's on the media and what's on the TV commercials. Because everything that they put on the commercial, you either have a death or a suicide or all these side effects but we have another drug that you can take to combat the side effects of this drug here. Well, what kind of practice is that? That is horseshit in my mind. And so we do not trust these doctors like we did when we were growing up. And the younger generation, they're more conscious of what they're, what's put in their body. They do more research. They have... And it's because of the lack of the trust of what has been put out there. So we have... A gentleman, and I don't have his permission to say his name, but he had a clients down in uh, he's in Florida. His um, wife is in the medical field. They had 116 patients with COVID um, at the Houston Clinic. They got authorization to take half of those clients and treat them on their own regiment and it included him Mm -hmm. and every one of those clients were on ventilators those 58 clients that he took got off the ventilators and survived and are doing fine the other 58 did not make it Mm -hmm. the medical side of this thing is absolutely (laughs) huge Mm -hmm. but you're talking about big pharma and everything else you can't compete with them you can't I mean, there's. they would just soon put us out because it's a threat to their pockets, that, the bottom line. It's all about money. And when it comes about money and not health, we have a problem. So the health side of this um, with uh, the, the crop is absolutely huge to me. For one, what it did for our son, it was, it's personal to us. And we have numerous clients using hemp rub and everything else on their knees, their joints, and they're getting good results. We have some that are getting results, but you know what? We're not all built the same, and that's gonna happen out there. But the vast majority are getting good results on it and getting um, you know, getting better with it. So um, same where I wanna see the crop and what I believe, I mean, it, it, it's all over the board, I think. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm. Totally. So, knowing farming's coming up and right around the corner, right? What is some, I mean, in your area, right? Knowing you know Montana or your you're part of the state, what are some do's and don'ts that these new farmers should really be paying attention to? Some real.
1: I think they need to get educated and talk to farmers that have grown. And for the last couple of years, and in their area um there was some guy my cousin has a co2 facility extraction facility in uh, windsor colorado so some guy called him perfect example some guy called him from wyoming wyoming just got passed i don't know all the rules and the regulations but they're going to grow so he wanted to grow 500 acres i needed all this seed um, Will you do all the extraction for me and everything else? And you know, my cousin just asked him, "Well, where are you gonna? You know, where's the offtake go?" He said, "Well, I'm not worried about that. We just want to get the seeds. We want to get the um, get everything planted and get our license and, and just get into it." Well, when you get into it on that level, right there, I'm sorry if you don't do your due diligence. Don't. Um, There's too much risk. <laughs> there's too much risk and you have i mean you need a good agronomist you need to talk to farmers that have grown and find an area that um somebody has grown it i'd be willing to share my equipment with somebody um if my neighbor wanted to grow and then that way cut that cost down and you know work together and make it a little more pliable at least to get the wheels greased and get going a couple years so i think really in my mind is if there's a new grower out there, they need to find their area and, and search the other cause you're going to get a million different answers, but you'll weed out the ones that you don't like and you'll connect with the ones you do and you, that you can communicate with and feel good about and, and just pick their brain and anybody that is loyal to the business and has a good name they're going to tell you absolutely everything because they have nothing to lose. We no, just want
0: to see people get hurt. The you know, one thing that I've noticed, too, is people that are in the industry. There's a very big difference, right? It's either everybody's breasting everything, keeping it close to their chest. They don't want to share anything in fear of someone stealing it or they're doing just what you're doing, sharing everything because. I'm so tired of watching everybody lose millions of dollars knowing that the neighbor down the street has brand new technology that's twice as efficient or uh, yeah, it's hard to watch. (laughs) So this is is exactly where I'm at is I want to build these connections and I want you guys to be able to grow and be successful through, yeah, through a network and by being able to say who's who in the network and who do we go to and what equipment works and more importantly, what didn't work.
1: Absolutely, okay. that's the key. You bet.
0: What didn't work? So on the processing side, equipment side, you still have hemp standing, don't you? I do. Tell me about what that looks like. What's the as far as? So it was grown last year. It's last year's crop. Usually, it's harvested by redding in the field, or does it stay standing and then cut? How do you, How do you usually do it?
1: Well. We were supposed to have it done in August, but when they decided to go to seed, then it didn't produce seed. I just quit trying to harvest it because there was no way that we could. So, the best thing in my mind, when you try to store it, when you got that amount of acreage, and you try, if you're trying—if you're going to cut it, bale it, where are you going to store it? it? Then your bottom bale sit on the ground. You have snow. There you're going to get a little mold, just like a. Okay. So, I just vowed to leave my crop standing in the field. And I talked to experts. It wasn't my decision. I talked to a lot of people in the business about it. And that was actually the best place for it right now is just leave it standing until we figure it out. We're trying to work on a contract, um, a couple contracts, one with John and another guy in Colorado for the stock itself. But we just felt it would be best to leave it sit in the field. So then what I'll do once we get that, um, figure out which it's going, which we're going to have to do this really soon soon as the ground dries up a little bit, if things are found now, then we'll go in there, we'll cut it, harvest it, bail it, and have a place for it to go. And so, yeah, we've got uh, probably 200 acres still just sitting in the field waiting to be processed.
0: Awesome. Um, I'll, I want to come out and see it. Jones showed me pictures of it, and I know the other gentlemen really well as well. So I'm really excited you guys are, I don't know what process it is, so I don't want to spill the beans on who's who, but good right. people. Again, good people good. that good. I hope it works out. So, Well, Jay, I'm really excited to have you on. I'm happy to help you however I can. We are doing an educational series, like I said, that's focused on farmers for the next three. We have one tomorrow morning at 8 a.m. with Hannah from Czech Republic. She's been in the industry for a really long time and speaks at lots of different um, uh, expos, World Ag Expo and Hemp you know, World Hemp Expos and stuff, um, but speaking specifically about seeds and farm advice, I'd love to invite you. I'll send you over a link so that you can, um, but it's just a listen-in farmer's q and I will record it for our members, and so I'll make sure that you have access to it as well, but a great way to just have questions answered and meet other good leaders in the industry.
1: But yeah, that'd be awesome. That'd be awesome. We'd love to, and I mean, I just Send me the links and we i just want to say thank you for what you're doing mandy and you. you know it takes people in all aspects of the business to get this out and to work together and you're doing something that there's no way in the world i could even come close to so we do Same. thank you very much for it and i know it's it's tough for us to be on a scheduled time but anytime we can join if we don't got something going i definitely will and i want to be able to support you and um just uh another plug Please, if anybody's listening and you care about what you eat, we'd love to have you visit our site at StetsonBeef.com. And we can uh, work out uh, if you're a bigger company or a restaurant, something like that. We do have wholesale also. So it's not on there, but we have that ability. And individuals, we'd love to send you a sample and see what your thoughts are.
0: I love it. Okay, well, I will definitely be ordering because this is something I was just talking about, Jay. So thank you. And I'm with you. I'm here to support you because I cannot, I'm not a farmer. I grew up in Wyoming where you think I would. Everybody always asks, oh, you're a cowboy. I even played ball there, but I'm not a farmer. And so I, however, I do very much know and I give everybody else out, you know, the advice to take care of our farmers, all of them, because without them, we will not have this crop and we will not have the food that we need. So right now, I think the pandemic exposed that even more.
1: Yeah, yeah. And feel free to give out my information. Uh, You do have it. So feel free if there's anybody out there that wants to talk, hey, I'm I'm an open book and so no problem.
0: Jay, I look forward to it. Thank you so much for your time. Have a wonderful day.
1: All right. See ya. Okay.
0: See you later.